My name is Alfred Pennyworth, and I have a story to tell. Batman had trained many protégés over the years, and one of them was the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this Monday edition of the Riley and Kimmy Show. It's episode number 1330. It's an August 7th. If you're listening the day the show's uploaded, right next to me is... Janet! I got one! Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. You weigh 163 pounds. You are a very stupid fellow and not likely to succeed. Uh, thank you. That is true. Uh, at least uh, some of those things he said. Uh, they were they were accurate there. Hmm. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Monday Edition. The person happy it's Monday is right next to me. Hello, Kimmy. Oh, I love Monday. I can tell. You got a big uh, grin on your face. Uh, yeah, you, you kind of got like that Joker kind of grin thing going. Uh, yeah, you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> you love Mondays. Yeah. Yeah, Kimmy loves Monday. Let's just see if that's infectious and she can make you love Monday. By the way, uh, Kimmy, are you getting ready for the upcoming weekend? Oh, yes. Well, you can find out where the Riley and Kimmy show will be taking it to the streets by going to our website, we have a complete event page that has everywhere that we are taking it to the streets. And we have listed on that place everything where, you know, we're going to be at this month. Matter of fact, next month and all the way through 2017 going into 2018, too. And feel free to contact the Riley and Kimmy show right on the event page if you have an upcoming pop culture event you would like us to be part of and to promote or if you have an animal event maybe a pet event because we have a show that is designed just for animals and pets called animal special and we're available for those events and to promote them as well and you can contact us right on our event page and you can find it right at our website what's our web address kimmy rileyandkimmy.com rileyandkimmy.com The Riley and Kimmy Show. Shall we play a game? That is a question for a Monday. Is she happy enough to play nerd and pop culture trivia with the possibility to uh, add to a win column to win something this coming weekend? That's the big question. Kimmy, would you like to play nerd and pop culture trivia? Of course I would. The timeline has been adjusted. It's scrambled up. It's not linear or in chronological order. Feel free to shout answers too, Kimmy. Yeah, it can work. We believe in time travel answers. We are in your past right now. You are in our future to us. Well, you can communicate with Kimmy, not me. I, I don't know if this actually works, but she says it does. Just yell at whatever computing device you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on, whether it's a laptop, desktop, tablet, maybe smartphone, smartwatch, or it could be those smart glasses. It could be the car itself. Maybe it's talking to you or maybe a robot or an Android or whatever in the future. Yeah, it could be the microwave oven. I don't know. Whatever in the future is playing the Riley and Kimmy show. You could be yelling at anything because you can take us anywhere as it is right now in our time frame. Because we are mobile and we are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. So shout answers to Kimmy. If she gets more of them right than wrong, it goes right into the win column. And we're checking those out throughout the entire week. We will tally them 
And if she gets more right than wrong by the, well, about a week from now, we will get her the collectible of her choice from the Jacksonville Comic and Toy Show happening Sunday, August 13th. Are you prepared, Kimmy? Yes, I am. So on this date, Kimmy, the first computer chess tournament happens. Somebody up against a computer. What year does this happen within 10 years? When was the first chess tournament, computer-wise, played? I'm going to go earlier than I would think. Okay, you're trying to guess wisely here, thinking it's way back. Mm -hmm. Okay, what year, Kimmy? Ten-year buffer. 1957. Kimmy went way, way back. She went too far back. It was 1970 is when it happened. Mm. Negative column, Kimmy. All right. Negative column. The year is 1606. The possible first performance of this person's tragedy, Macbeth, is performed. Who is the playwright? William Shakespeare. Correct. The year is 1782. George Washington creates the Order of the Purple Heart. The original name, though, is not that. It's called the Badge of Military Merit. The year is 1888. The patent for the revolving door was granted. The year is 1956. The Boston Red Sox fine Ted Williams $5,000 for spitting at Boston fans. Mm. He'd been fined before. Yeah. Now it's $5,000. 1959, the United States launched Explorer 6, which sent back the first picture of the Earth, you know, from space. Hmm. It's a big deal. The year is 1963. The movie Beach Party opens in the United States. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Beach Party? Okay. The year is 1963. She becomes the first United States First Lady to give birth since Mrs. Cleveland was in the White House. Who is it? The year is 1963. Jackie Kennedy. That's right, Kimmy. The year is 1965. Tell me who has this song as a hit. The song is It Ain't Me, Babe, reaches number eight on the top 40 charts. Tell me who it is. You say you're looking for someone who's never weak, but always strong to protect you and defend you, whether you are right or wrong. I know you're going to guess this one wrong. I know the name of the group you're going to guess, to be quite honest, and I'll prove it to you. Let me get a piece of paper here. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, here we go. Just one second. Prove to you what you're going to guess, okay? Here we go, Kimmy. Hold on. Tell me the name of the recording group, Kimmy. It was a breakthrough for them. The Birds? Oh, you... I give up. I thought you were going to guess the animals. Oh. But it was not the Birds. It was the Turtles. That's what they hit. (laughs) The turtles had it as a hit. The birds were not right. I thought you'd say the animals. Unbelievable. Yeah. Do you know whose uh, song that was, who wrote that song and performed it originally? The cows? No, not the cows. That's a good guess, but no, it was Bob Dylan. Okay. It was a big hit for the turtles, not the birds, nor the animals. It ain't me, babe. The cows. 
the cows. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to form a band? We'll call it the cows. Okay. Or uh, there, you know, there was the cow sills. Oh uh, yeah. There was the cow sills, Gibby. Okay. All right. The year is 1965. Mike Smith of the Dave Clark Five had two ribs broken when he was pulled off stage by a fan in Chicago. The year is 1966. Latin music king. And he was actually a fantastic artist, cartoonist. Xavier Cugat, at the age of 60, marries somebody who is 20 or maybe younger or maybe a little older, but generally accepted 20 at the time. He marries her in Las Vegas. She would be a staple on television in the 70s. Can you tell me who he marries? What 20-year-old does he marry when he is 60? My full name, my passport name is Maria Rosario Pilar. Can you tell me the name of that entertainer from the 70s and beyond? Shara. Also, my name is Shara. I, I bet you loved her on The Love Boat, didn't you? Oh, yeah. You know, she's performed around here in Florida. Uh, yeah. In the last few years. Yeah. You did not go see her. No. I'm a little upset. She actually truly is a very gifted guitarist, classical guitarist. Hmm. The year is 1971. Apollo 15 returns to Earth. The year is 1975. Give me Peter Wolf. The question is of what group? And Faye Dunaway were married. They were divorced in 1979. What group is Peter Wolf part of in 1974? Before, Jay Giles Band? Yeah, yeah, and he eventually goes solo. See, you are an audiophile. Good job. I didn't know that about him, though. What, that he was married to Faye Dunaway? No. Yes, for about five years. The year is 1978. Scientists in Pasadena, California, announced that Viking 1, that the spacecraft had found strong indications of possible life on what planet? Mars. That's right. Same time, same date, same year, 1976. Viking 2 goes into Martian orbit after 11-month flight from Earth. Moving to a music question. The year is 1987. A Los Angeles judge throws out a lawsuit against this performer. The lawsuit had been filed by the parents of a teenager who had committed suicide while listening to this performer's song. Identify the performer. Here is your clue. White is the performer kimmy ozzy osbourne that's right the year is 1987 the song was suicide solution the year is 1991 charges of assault and property damage are filed against guns and roses as well lead singer uh it's in connection with a riot that happened at their show in st louis missouri can you tell me the name of the lead singer axel rose that's right the year is 2003 in california this person announces that he would run for the office of governor. The year is 2003. Here's your audio clue. I'll be back. Who is it? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Correct. The year is 2003. Stephen Jeppe buys a 1963 G.I. Joe prototype for $200,000. Wow. The prototype. 
which mm. is probably very close to the art dummy. You know, the art uh, where you can put mm. in position to sketch? Because mm-hmm. that's actually how it came to be. If you read about the creation of it, the person who created Joe was looking at those, and then that's how it, it evolved. Mm. $200,000. Now, I guarantee you can find some vintage G.I. Joes from the 60s and 70s at the upcoming Jacksonville comic and toy show that will not cost you $200,000 a piece. That's right. So, And you, there might even be the kind of talk where you pull the, the dog tags and talk. Mm. I, you know, I, Could be. I found them before, you know, at uh, toy shows. I have a beautiful one in my uh, collection that I found at a toy show. So it could happen. 2007, Barry Bonds breaks baseball great Hank Aaron's record by hitting 756 home runs. Tell me what team Barry Bonds plays for in 2007. Montreal Expos? San Francisco Giants. The year is 2007. Eclipse, the third book in the Twilight Saga, is published. The initial print run is of one million copies. Do you do you have that? No. Have you read it? No. You weren't one of the one million? No. Celebrity and notable birthday time, Anne Harding, born on this date, 1901, died 1981 at the age of 79. She was American theater, motion picture, radio, and television actress. A lot of work and a lot of things. Next person, born on this date, 1926, Kimmy. He was a voice talent. He was a writer. He was a puppeteer. He was a director of radio dramas. He a comedian. He was an influence on Weird Al Yankovic. There would not be Weird Al if it wasn't for this person. And he was a cartoon voice. Just some of the things he was. He was so many things. Here's one of the voices he did. Tell me who he is. I got a little rabbit in this hole. And I'm going to catch the little rabbit and eat him up. <coughs> oh, three or four... I'm Mrs. Rabbit, the little fellow's mother, and I've been so worried about him. Kimmy just recently discovered when, well, re-watching The Lady and the Tramp from 1955, he was the voice of the beaver, and he did so much work, so many, many things with cartoon voices, people like Dawes Butler and June Foray. Can you tell me who he is, Kimmy? I so know his name. One of the things he did was he recorded comedy albums. They were big in the 1950s. He did a parody on Dragnet with Dawes Butler in 1951 called St. George and the Dragonnet. The legend you are about to hear is true. Only the needle should be changed to protect the record. This is the countryside. My name is St. George. I'm a knight. Saturday, July 10th, 8.05 p.m. I was working out of the castle on the night watch when a call came in from the chief. A dragon had been devouring maidens. Homicide. My job. Slay him. You call me, chief? Yeah, it's the dragon again. Devouring maidens. The king's daughter maybe next. Mm-hmm. You got a lead? Uh, nothing much to go on. Said you take that 45 automatic into the lab to have him check on it? Yeah. You were right. I was right? Yeah. It was a gun. 
8.22 p.m. I talked to one of the maidens who had almost been devoured. Could I talk to you, ma'am? Who are you? I'm St. George, ma'am. Homicide, ma'am. I want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. I understand you're almost devoured by the ma'am. Is that right, dragon? It was terrible. He breathed fire on me. He banged me already. How can I be sure of that, ma'am? Believe me, I got it straight from the dragon's mouth. 11.45 p.m. I rode over the King's Highway. I saw a man. Stopped to talk to him. Pardon me, sir. Could I talk to you for just a minute, sir? Sure, I don't mind. What do you do for a living? I'm a knave. Didn't they pick you up on a 903 last year for stealing tarts? Yeah. So what, do you want to make a federal case out of it? No, sir. We heard there was a dragon operating in this neighborhood. We just want to know if you've seen him. Sure, I've seen him. Mm-hmm. Could you describe him for me? What's to describe? You see one dragon, you've seen them all. Would you try and remember, sir, just for the record? We just want to get the facts, sir. Well, he was, you know, he had orange polka dots. Yes, sir. Purple feet, breathing fire and smoke. Mm-hmm. And one big bloodshot eye right in the middle of his forehead and, uh, like that. Notice anything unusual about him? No, he's just a run-the-mill dragon, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, you can go now. Hey, by the way, how are you going to catch him? I thought you'd never ask. A dragon net. 3.05 p.m. I was riding back into the courtyard to make my report to the lab. Then it happened. It was a dragon. Hey, I'm the fire-breathing dragon. You must be St. George, right? Yes, sir. I see you got one of them new 45 caliber swords. That's about the size of it. <laughs> you slay me. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. What do you mean? I'm taking it in a 502. You figure it out. What's the charge? Devouring maidens out of season. Out of season? You never pinned that rap on me? Do you hear me, cop? Yeah, I hear you. I got you in a 412, too. A 412? What's a 412? Overacting. Let's go. On September the 5th, the dragon was tried and convicted. His fire was put out and his maiden devouring license revoked. Maiden devouring out of season is punishable by a term of not less than 50 or more than 300 years. Can Kimmy identify who that is? Who did Dragon Net with Dawes Butler? And if you had a sharp ear, June Foray was there too. Can you tell me who it is? Yeah, it just came to me. Stan Freeberg. That's right, Stan Freeberg. Born on this date, 1926. Died 2016 at the age of 88. Check out his work if you have the opportunity. Green Christmas is a gem from 1958 and so many other things that he did. Moving back to trivia and birthdays, Carl Switzer, born on this date, Kimmy, born 1927, died 1959 at the age of 31. You know him when he was a child actor. He appeared in the Our Gang series as Alfalfa. He was, as some say, maybe the most popular of the characters. You know Alfalfa, right? Mm -hmm. But he went into obscurity and hard life after leaving the series in 1940. He was killed at the age of 31, shot to death. Some say it was self-defense. Others say it was murder. You decide if you want to read about it in the biography. You can draw your own conclusions. That is Carl Switzer, born on this date. Next person, recording artist, Kimmy. He's 75 years old today. Identify who he is. We have some audio clues here for you. Here's one of his big hits. Tell me who this is. Just like the guy whose feet are too big 
seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling Gimme, who is that? Mmm. That was a number one hit. Yeah. 1969. Bobby Goldsboro? Not Bobby Goldsboro. I'll give you another chance here. Here's another hit of his from a few years before that. 1968 at number five. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. And you just don't realize what you do to me when you hold me. In your arms so tight, you let me know everything's all right. Gimme, who is it? I can't do it. It's B.J. Thomas, born on this date. He is 75. Next person is American actor, Kimmy. Known for his work on Smallville. He played Lionel Luther on Smallville. Tell me who the actor is. Here's your audio clue. I was only there at uh, Summer Holt Lex because... I was concerned about you. I was as shocked as you were to find out that Dr. Gardner was holding him there against his will. <laughs> oh, Lex. Yes, well, we uh, put that tragedy behind us years ago, didn't we? Lex, I understand that you need to uh, excuse your behavior, but I... Uh, I saw you, Lex. I saw you standing over Julian's crib. It's the past. It's history. Don't you dare. I won't let you desecrate your mother's memory like that. He played the villain, one of the villains on Smallville. Can you tell me his name, Kimmy? Oh, I can't. John Glover, having a birthday today. He is 73. Next person is known for playing an FBI agent, Kimmy, on a certain TV show. Here's your clue. Tell me the name of the TV series. I don't think I have to give her much time here. Kimmy, can you identify the TV show? The X-Files. Correct. And he played the he. He played Fox Mulder on it. Can you tell me his name? Um, I can't. David? The Coveney is having a birthday today. How old is David today within five years? 53? Uh, you got it within the five. He is 57. Remember, you saw him in a movie in a theater with Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. What was the name of the movie? Can you do it? Uh, California. That's right. 1983 or 1993. He was in that. You can tell me the name of the movie, but you couldn't tell me his name. That's interesting. Yeah. Sorry. You didn't watch X-Files, though. We'll be fair, correct? I, I didn't. Okay. Let's see if you can identify this actress with these clues, Kimmy. She has starred in several Hollywood films. She's been in The Devil's Advocate in 1997, Mighty Joe Young in 98, Monster in 2003, Mad Max Fury Road in 2015, and most recently, Atomic Blonde. Can you tell me who she is? Charlize Theron. Yes. How old is Charlize Theron today within five? 45. She is 42 today. I see dead people. It's notable deaths. Kimmy, we're taking a look at uh, who passed away on this date. The year is 1957. A member of this comedy duo passes away. Kimmy, we have a sample of their signature tune. Tell me the name of the comedy duo. Laurel 
Laurel and Hardy. That's correct, Kimmy. Laurel and Hardy. Now, one of the members passed away. It was Hardy. Can you tell me his first name, Kimmy? Oliver. How did you get that? Oliver Hardy. Yeah, that's right. What was the name of the other member? Stan Laurel. That's correct. Oliver Hardy passed away on this date at the age of 65. And by the way, their uh, their team-up lasted 25 years, from 1927 to 1951. He and his partner, Stan, appeared in 107 short films, feature films, and cameo roles. Next person died on this date, 2005. An American news anchor, Kimmy, dies on this date, 2005, at the age of 67. Identify who he is. Of something uh, that an American historian once said to me many years ago that that the television set um, is roughly equivalent to a campfire in the days as the wagon trains were making their way westward and there was a catastrophe on the on the trail and some people pulled the wagons around and sat down and discussed what went on and tried to understand it and then went on uh, the next day and we do that in front of our television sets now in large measure today we did it you'll recall at the time of the challenger we did when president kennedy was assassinated we've done it in any number of incidents whether we're working on television or watching television or uh, contributing to it in some way uh, this is in some respects the national campfire to use that uh, that analogy who is the mystery voice Kimmy? Oh, I should know this. He's, he was an ABC anchor yeah. person. He's the one that passed away of lung cancer, right? That is correct. Um, what are his initials? PJ. Peter Jenkins. No, you're no. close. You got one of those, right? Peter? Yes. Can't do it. Jennings. Jennings. Peter Jennings passed away on this date, 2005. That wraps up our uh, questioning today, Kimmy. I think you did a fantastic job on this version of trivia, and we'll put it into, well, everything into a win column. Cool. What we'll do now is focus on something we talked about, well, in trivia with the golden age of radio. Radio That's the Riley and Kimmy Show. We have a couple of things going on right now with this episode. We're going to tell, tell you about something we have available on our website, too, right now. Now, the first thing we have with this episode is Anne Harding. We're going to focus on her. She was born on this date in 1901. She was an actress, did a lot of work, especially in the golden age of radio. We have an example of her work from 1937 called Madam X, where she co-stars with Jimmy Stewart. And then if you go to our website right now, in honor of Stan Freeberg, we have some samples of his golden age of radio work with Dawes Butler and June Foray. Stan Freeberg was tapped as Jack Benny's replacement on radio when Benny decided just to focus on television, but it was short-lived because Stan Freeberg was a rebel, and he got in trouble with CBS censors and also upper management and refused to deal with advertisers. He would not allow tobacco ads on his show. In some cases, on some shows, he actually bought the advertising himself and just sold bogus products as a joke. So he was short-lived, but it is a treasure. It's one of those where you would chalk up to maybe what could have been if he had actually gotten along with the censors. These are golden. This is probably 
right at the best of the golden age of radio, even though it's at the end of the golden age of radio. It's fantastic to listen to because you hear Dawes Butler and June Foray, cartoon voice people, working with Sam Freeberg, who did animation as well. It is brilliant, and it's a great example of the golden age of radio, the theater of the mind. We have those episodes, back-to-back episodes, available right now on our website. You can check those out. They're uninterrupted. They're they're just self-contained. That is Stan Freeberg. And we kick them off with the CBS Censor from 1957. Dawes Butler and June Foray are on the episode as well. You can check that out right now on our website or right after you listen to Anne Harding with Madam X, which we're going to right now, where she co-stars with Jimmy Stewart here on The Riley and Kimmy Show. Before we hear Anne Harding, James Stewart, and Conway Turl in Madam X, may I remind you that summer is practically here with its cool, comfortable cotton, its wash suits and dresses and sport things. These clothes can look so fresh, so crisp and immaculate that it makes you cooler just to see them. And I don't have to tell you how comfortable they feel. There's no reason why your summer things should ever lose their cool, crisp, new look. Lux is especially made to protect them. These delicate flakes are free from the harmful alkali too often found in many ordinary soaps. Any color, any material that's safe in clear water alone is safe in gentle Lux. Make a note to order Lux tomorrow. You'll find the large size box most convenient. And now, the Lux Radio Theater presents its eminent producer, that outstanding pioneer of motion pictures, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. (laughs) Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Anne Harding became an actress because she wanted to write. Employed by an insurance company in New York, she spent her spare time reading novels and plays for famous players Lasky, of which I was director general, helping our studio in its search for picture ideas. When she decided to study stage technique, she visited the Provincetown players. They offered her the lead in their next production. Following came five offers from Broadway, along with an ultimatum from her father, the late General George Gatley, commanding her to give up the stage or her home. Anne chose the stage. And eight years passed before the general admitted that an actress in the family, especially an actress like Anne, was no discredit to the Gatleys. Several months ago, Anne went abroad, made a picture in England, and triumphed on the stage in Canada. She returned last month to Hollywood with her husband, the distinguished conductor, Werner Jansen. Tonight in Madame X, she plays the title role. With the same speed that he displayed on the track while attending Princeton University, lanky James Stewart has vaulted into picture popularity. At Princeton, he studied architecture when he could tear himself away from playing the accordion. One summer, he worked as an assistant to a magician, but there is no truth to the rumor that he became a lady killer by sawing a woman in half. From college, he went into summer stock, was stage manager for Jane Cowell, and soon after was acting on Broadway. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer brought Jimmy to Hollywood, and he's heard tonight as Raymond. In the role of Alan Cartwright, we present Conway Turl an outstanding personality on the stage and screen for more than 20 years. Out of the limelight for a while, Mr. Turl made a remarkable comeback on the stage in Dinner at Eight and is currently seen in Romeo and Juliet. Now for our play. Our stars make their entrance as the curtain rises and the Lux Radio Theater presents Anne Harding and James Stewart in Madame X with Conway Turl. 
year is 1918. It's late at night, and in the richly furnished library of his home in New York City, Alan Cartwright paces the floor anxiously, waiting for news of his four-year-old son, who tosses feverishly on a sickbed upstairs. As the door to the library opens, Cartwright crushes out a cigarette with nervous fingers and turns quickly to greet the doctor. How is he? Is there any change? He's much better, Alan. You mean that he'll, he'll live? The crisis is over. His temperature has started to drop already. Oh, thank God. He'll be romping all over the house in a few days. Youngsters come back fast. All he needs is rest and quiet. If anything happens to Raymond, he's all I have left. Nothing's going to happen to him. Now pull yourself together, Alan. I've left a prescription with the nurse. And something for you, too. For me? <laughs> I don't need anything. I'm as fit as a fiddle. Your nerves are raw, Alan. You've been working too hard. And now, with this, you need a rest yourself, man. A rest? How can I rest? I have a law practice to attend to. Your law practice doesn't demand that you kill yourself, does it? Take things easy. You've done nothing but work all your life. It's the only thing you know. It's the only thing worth knowing. And one thing more, Alan. I don't like to mention this. But I'm your physician and your friend. Well? Jacqueline has been gone for two years now. She's not coming back. You've got to begin to accept that fact. You think that's what's got me down? Well, I... Well, it hasn't. I've no intention of ever allowing her to come back. She's been calling here all day. Jacqueline? She heard Raymond was sick. Wanted to see him. You're going to let her, of course. No. But Alan, she's his mother. She left him and she left me. Life wasn't gay enough for her here. Well, very well, then. But I make her own life. Make it or wreck it. She's young, Alan. Much younger than you. Has it ever occurred to you that uh, perhaps you were to blame, too? For what? You were so absorbed in your work. You had so little time for her. It wasn't gaiety Jacqueline wanted. It was companionship. Love. She... She left Raymond. Her own baby. There's nothing more to be said about it. Sorry, Alan. When are you coming to see Raymond again? I'll drop in later on my way from the hospital. Good night, old man. Good night. Just a moment, please. Oh. Good evening, ma'am. Good evening, Bessie. Is, isn't the cart right in? Why... Yes, ma'am. Uh, that is, I'm not sure, ma'am. How is Raymond? I'm sorry, Mrs. Cartwright, but but Mr. Cartwright said that... Did he leave orders that I was not to be admitted, Bessie? Is that the trouble? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Is that the doctor back again, Bessie? Let him in. Don't give him... Uh... Oh. Good evening, Alan. You may go, Bessie. Close the door. Yes, sir. Well... I've come to see Raymond. How is he, Alan? I told you not to come here. Oh, please. How is Raymond? Is he any better? The danger is over. Oh. Oh, may I see him, please? No. All I want to do is open the door and look at him. He mustn't be disturbed. I won't disturb him. I'm sorry. But I'm his mother, Alan. I have a right to see him. You forfeited that right when you left him two years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, Jacqueline. I didn't leave him, Alan. I left you. I had to. It was a mistake, I admit it, a great mistake, but I only meant it to be for a little while, just... 
just time enough to think things over. Why didn't you answer my letters, Alan? I sent you money. Why didn't you answer my letters? I was busy. You were always busy, weren't you, Alan? That was always the trouble. I reached out for you again and again. I could never find you. You knew what you wanted, Jacqueline. Now, now you've got it. You left Raymond and you left me. And there's no returning. It's too late for that. Very well. You want a divorce, Alan? No. No? But you... Oh, I see. It isn't a good thing for a man to be divorced if he wants to be a judge. You'd sacrifice your whole life for that, and mine too, wouldn't you? It's my career, not yours. I'm sorry, but you'll have to leave now. I've come here to beg your forgiveness, to ask you for one glimpse of my own baby. Too much excitement. I won't excite Raymond. I love him. But you won't let me near him. Clients, courts, the judge's robes. That's what your life is and all it will ever be. You don't know what love means. Get out. Opinions, decisions. Human beings aren't bound in leather and filed with your law books. They live. They make mistakes. They forgive and love and keep on living. Oh, please, Alan, let me see him. Let me see my baby. No, Jacqueline. You say I'm hard. Well, perhaps I am. But it's for his good, too. I don't uh, trust you. You've made me too unhappy. You've ruined my life. You're not going to have a chance to ruin his. I should hate to for this, Alan, but I can't. I can't feel anything at all for you, except pity. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what it means. But someday you will. And you'll never forgive yourself, Alan. Never. Now light the candles on the cake, Betsy. Hurry up. We'll surprise him. Ten candles. Ten years old today. It seems only yesterday he was a baby, Mr. Cotter. Letter from Raymond, Allen? Yes, and listen to this. When my sophomore year is over, I'm planning to switch to pre-law. <laughs> pre-law, Perry. What do you think of that? It is my privilege this day to award them their diplomas. May they practice their profession in uprightness and in honor. Will the men step forward, please? Albert Ainsworth, John Butler, Howard Bridges, Raymond Cartwright, James Carvel, Gerald Crandall. Albert Ainsworth, John Butler, Howard Bridges, Raymond Cartwright. There you are, Dad. My name in the newspaper. <laughs> I see it, son. Uh, yeah, you can just about see it, yeah. Pretty small print, isn't it? Well, it'll be larger someday. No, not as large as yours, I'll bet. But did you see that story on the record this morning? Alan Cartwright sworn into the state Supreme Court. Well, I got a real kick out of that. Yeah, so did I. You've been working for it long enough. All my life, son. Now it's here. Well, you must feel pretty good. Huh? Yes. Yes, I, I suppose I do. Well, I don't see you throwing any hats into the air or anything. You know, if I ever just get one case, I'll be a success, you know. Well, success isn't everything, son. You'll find that out as you get older. There's more to life for, much more. Well, such as what? Well, a home, friendship, family, a clear conscience. Well, you have those, Dad? 
Mm, I have. Most of them. You've been my family, Raymond. I guess I haven't been much help. I might have been different if Mother had lived. Uh, what was she like, Dad? I thought we were never to mention your mother's name. Oh, I, I know. I promised, but why not? It was such a long time ago, and everyone likes to know something about his mother. What she looked like, where she came from, what she did and said. You've never even told me her name. She, uh, she died when you were four. You were ill at the time. Where is she buried? What? Where is Mother buried? Oh, oh, a long way from here, Raymond. I'll take you there someday. What was her name, Dad? Jacqueline. Jacqueline. That's a beautiful name. She must have been beautiful. John Butler, Howard Bridges, Raymond Cartwright. Raymond Cartwright. Who is it? Come on, open up. Just a minute. Oh, come in, Tony. Hey, you're getting kind of exclusive, ain't you, Jackie? Locking your door now, huh? I have a right to privacy in my own dressing room. Sure, but not when the customers are waiting for a number. Come on. I'll be ready in a minute. What have you been doing? Reading the newspapers. Why? New York papers, huh? What do you read them for all the time? The news is three days late. That's my business, isn't it? Sure. And maybe the San Francisco sheets don't carry the stuff you're interested in, huh? Well, what are you talking about? Ah, now, don't give me that, Jackie. I know you too well. Who is this guy Cartwright? If you'll get out of here, I'll get ready for my number. Come on, come on. Who is he? Why have you got a whole drawer full of clippings on him? How do you know that? <laughs> don't be foolish. I look. You're frank enough. Why not? Alan Cartwright, a prominent attorney, and son Raymond, vacation at Palm Beach. Son Raymond, vacation at Palm Beach. Alan Cartwright appointed to Supreme Court. Who is he, Jackie? Come on, loosen up. Now, what are you trying to do, shake him down? Get out. A Supreme Court judge, huh? He's a hot number if he got something on him. Did you hear what I said? Get out of here. <coughs> Get out. Uh, you see, you get yourself all worked up. You'll be pulling one of those feints of yours in a minute. You want a drink? No. Oh, I was just thinking. If you have got something on this bird, you ought to come me in. You know, for old times' sake. Oh, I may be pretty low right now. I may have stepped down pretty far to be working in a place like this and for a man like you. But I haven't reached your level yet. Now get out. All right. That's the way you feel about it. See you outside, Jackie. Hey, Nick. Nick. What do you want, Run out and send a wire for me to Joe Harper in New York. Tell him I want some dope on a guy by the name of Alan Cartwright, Supreme Court judge. Okay. And look, yeah. I want to know especially about his wife, see? Who she was and where she is now. Tell him to get everything he can. I'll meet him in New York a week from Saturday. Okay. I got the stuff you left here. Oh, it's swell. Just what I wanted. Uh, no, no, I can't see you now, Joe. Come around to the hotel tomorrow. So long. Who is it? 
Hello, Tony. Well, if it isn't Jackie. How are you, Jackie? All right. I didn't expect to see you here. Well, they told me you'd gone to New York, so I followed you. Yeah? What for? Just to make sure you didn't try anything that might get you into trouble. Thanks, but I don't need any advice from you, see? I got everything I need, Jackie, and it's a swell story. Is it? You see, I know who you are and who your husband is and your son, too. And what are you planning to do with that information? I'm going to do with it what you didn't have the nerve to do. I'm going to use it. To blackmail him. Oh, no. I'm just going to tell him where his wife is and what she is. Oh, no, you're not. Huh? And who's going to stop me? I am. You're not going to ruin my son's career, Tony. I'm not the type to stand by and see you wreck his life. Yeah? Well, what do you think you're going to do about it? It's very simple. Huh? Put that gun down. You don't scare me. I'm not trying to scare you. You know where you land, don't you? That doesn't worry me. I can't last much longer anyway, so I've got nothing to lose. You have. Sure. Sure, about 10,000 bucks if I let you bluff me out of it, but you can't, see? Because I'm going to see him right now, tonight. I'm not bluffing, I mean it. Stay away from my husband. Get out of my way. I'm warning you, stay away from my husband. I'll show you what I think of you and your warnings. Don't open that door. Well, why don't you shoot? Stay away from that door, I tell you. So long, bluffer. What's the matter? What's happened? He's in there. He's in that room. I heard it. What's going on up here? Ah, she killed him. Grab that woman. I've got the police. Come here, you. Get your hands off me. I did it. I'm not trying to escape. I killed him. Before going on with Madame X, let's stop a minute in a bright and shining little kitchen near Glendale. Brother Bob is staying overnight with Walter and Sally. Walter has just gone out to put the car up. Sally is about to do the dishes while Bob leans against the cupboard near the door. Oh, Lux Flakes. So you use Lux for dishes, too? Indeed I do. No dishpan hands for me. Yeah, that's what Kay says, too. And she ought to know. Remember how she complained last winter about dishwashing making her hands sore? You bet I do. Just about the time you came on here for a visit. Honestly, I didn't believe a girl's hands could look so rough and red. All split around the nails, too. And all because she was using a harsh soap for dishes. Trying to save money, she said. Well, I got her to change to luck. Honestly, it was almost unbelievable how much better her hands looked in just the short time I was there. She says she finds Lux isn't at all expensive. She sure is proud of her hands now. But I didn't know she had you to thank for it. Not me. It's the makers of Lux she should thank. Lux hasn't any harmful alkali, you know. It gets the dishes clean in no time at all. Look, I'm practically through already, thanks to... To me, as inspiration. But most of all, to Lux. Once again, Mr. DeMille. Anne Harding, James Stewart, and Conway Turl continue in Madame X. Arrested for the murder of Tony Phillips, Jacqueline is taken to police headquarters. In an office of the Homicide Bureau, she sits in the glare of a blinding electric lamp. Two detectives are cross-questioning her. Captain Keene leans close and wraps his hand sharply on the table. Come on, come on, come on. You admit that you killed a man by the name of Tony Phillips? You admit you went to the Hotel Trent for the purpose of shooting him dead? Now, who was he? What was he to you? He was nothing to me. Then why did you kill him? I won't tell you. You must have had a reason. What was it? I won't tell you. All right, sister. But you're making it a lot tougher for yourself. You know that, don't you? You know what'll happen to you, don't you? Yes. Yes, I know what will happen to me. And why don't you come clean? 
Come on, give us the dope. We're only trying to help you. I have nothing to say. You're waiting for your lawyer, is that it? I have no lawyer. But you're going to have one. No. Uh, no use, Chief. Better send her back till we get a chance to work on this thing. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Murphy. I'm going to give you one more chance, sister. I won't ask you who the man was. I won't ask you why you shot him. All I want to know is one thing. Who are you? What's your name? Where do you come from? Come on, come on. What's your name? You can tell us that, can't you? What's your name? Who are you? Who are you? All right, Murphy. Send her back. Flynn. Yes, sir? Take her back to her cell. This way, sister. Well, that was a nice waste of time. I don't see what you're so worried about, Chief. It's an open and shut case. She walked into a hotel room and drilled a guy. She admits it, even. Yeah, yeah, sure she admits it. But how do you know what she'll admit when she gets on the stand? That's what counts, Murphy. What she says in front of 12 good men and true. You say the same thing. She didn't even want a lawyer. Well, the court will take care of that for her. Yeah. They'll appoint someone to represent her. Some kid, probably. Who can't even find his way to the witness chair. Uh, she sure is a sucker for not talking. <laughs> of justice, it is the duty of this court to see that the accused is ably represented by counsel. To that end, and to assure the accused of a just trial in accordance with the laws of this state, the court hereby appoints as counsel for the defendant, Raymond Cartwright. Hello, Dad. Well, come in, Raymond. Well, I've got it. The what? My first big case. Look me over. <laughs> Good boy. Well, the first one's always the hardest, you know. Yeah, don't I know it. Of course, there's not much glory attached to this one. It's uh, one of those assignments. Oh, well, well, it's a start, Raymond. Well, that's the way I look at it. Criminal case, I suppose. Yeah, she's charged with murder. Oh, a woman, eh? Mm-hmm. Any evidence? Well, th- that's the whole trouble, you know. It's all evidence. She admits everything. She won't talk about it. Won't even give her name. Oh, yes. I think I read something about it in the papers this morning. What is it the reporters are calling her? Yeah, trust them to give her the name. They're calling her Madame X. That's it, yeah. Well, they've handed you a nice one for your first case. How are you handling it? Well, I haven't decided that yet. Well, you have to get her to talk. Any luck so far? No, I haven't even seen her. She wasn't in the court when I got the assignment. I, I'm seeing her at the tombs at 4 o'clock. I, you know, I, I don't know what I can do for her if she won't give me anything to go on. And, well, if she admits everything now, it's, uh, it's sort of hopeless, I guess. Well, you can't tell. You can admit the murder and still get an acquittal, you know. Temporary insanity. Self-defense. Extenuating circumstances. Oh, it's been done before. Yeah, I know, but isn't that sort of drawing a little fire? No, not a bit. You see, justice is a funny thing. There's a district attorney on one side, a counsel for the defense on the other. Your job is to present your client's case in its most favorable light. Just as it's the DA's job to convict her, if possible. If you can dig up any facts that might conceivably influence a jury to vote not guilty, it's your right and your duty to use those facts. A human life depends on it. Depends on you. Yes, I know. It's a big responsibility, isn't it? Yes. Anything I could do to help? Oh, no, no, thanks. I'd rather have it myself. I mean, of course. Well, go to it. And the best of luck. Thanks, Dan. Did 
to make her talk to a better man than the whole homicide squad. How long has she been in here? Ten days. She ought to come to trial pretty soon. No use in delaying on these open and shut cases. Have you questioned her since you brought her in? Every day. She won't talk. She won't even eat. She just sits there and stares at you. It's enough to give a man the creeps. She still won't give her name, huh? No. She says her name is Williams. Laura Williams. She admits it's a phony. It's only for the records. Here we are. You've got a visitor, sister. Go ahead, son. Thanks, huh? I'd like to see her alone, of course. Sure. I'll be at the end of the car of it. Just yell when you want me. How do you do? What do you want with me? If you've been sent here to question me, you're wasting your time. I've nothing to say. I've told him that. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not an officer. I'm your attorney. I told him I didn't want an attorney. No, but you you ha- have to have someone to plead your case. You see, that's the law. I, I was appointed by the judge. Well? Well, if I'm to represent you, I've got to know something about you. Who you are, where you came from. Uh, you'll tell me that, won't you? My name is Laura Williams. No, but that's not your real name. They asked me my name for the records. I told them my name was Laura Williams. That's all I have to say. But I... That's all I have to say. Well, you're not being very fair. You're not being fair to yourself or to me either. You? Yes, I... You see, this is my first case. (laughs) Oh. That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? But I, I think I can help you. That is, if you'll just give me the chance. Now, I did want to make a showing on this. And so if you don't want to do it for yourself, perhaps you'd be willing to help me. You're very young, aren't you? Oh, I'm 24. 24. I had a son. He'd be 24 now, too. And he's just... Then he's alive. I didn't say that. I'm sorry. I know it hurts to be reminded when... You've lost someone near to you. Have you ever lost anyone? Yes, I... My mother. How? She died some time ago. Oh. But we were speaking of your son. Now, he's still alive. I'd rather not talk about it. Has he anything to do with the man that was shot? No. Oh, let me alone. Please, just let me alone. But I've got to defend you. I don't want to be defended. I killed that man. I walked into his room at the Hotel Trent and I shot him. Is there anything more to be said? I'm perfectly willing to pay for what I did. But don't you see? There may be no reason why you should pay. That's all I'm trying to find out, just what the motive was. You see, you you might have had a good reason to kill him. I did. Did he threaten you in any way? No. It wasn't self-defense then? No. Did he threaten anyone near to you? No. Your son, perhaps? No. Why do you keep bringing up my son? Well... The only thing I know about you, that you have or had a son, I, I'm just groping in the dark, that's all, to trying to help you. I, I, you can't blame me for that. It's just my job. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too, that, that this had to be your first case. But you mustn't take it too much to heart. Everything's against you. Nobody expects you to win. Hotel Trent. What name, please? Just a moment, please. Hello? Room service? Hold on a minute. Hello, Hotel Trent? Yes, ma'am. What name, please? Oh, one moment, please. Excuse me. What do you want? Uh, the manager said I could speak to you for a minute. Yeah? Take my calls, will you, Francis? Okay. Well? Uh, my name is Raymond Cartwright. 
Are you the girl that was on the switchboard the night the man was shot in 518? Yeah, why? Now, I want you to think hard and try to remember. Did he receive any calls that night? Yeah, he got a call about 8 o'clock. You're sure? Sure, it was a man called. I remember because it was just a couple of minutes before the fellow was shot. You didn't tell the police? Well, I didn't think it was important, was it? Oh, that's all right, that's all right. Now, look. When that man called, did he mention his name? Now, come on. Think hard now, come on. Yeah. He said his name was, uh, um, wait a minute now, uh, Harper. Harper, that's what it was, Joe Harper. You're sure of that? Yeah, we always ask what name. And I remember because my boyfriend's name mm-hmm. is Harper, right, and I thought... Right, it... that's fine, thanks. Huh. Uh, you keep this quiet, will you? Oh, oh, sure. Hello? Yes? Well, what'd you find? Well, now, keep looking. Will you try the city directory? Try anything you can think of. Now, we've got to locate this Joe Harper before we go on trial. All right, all right, thanks. Oh. Hey, luck, son? Uh, nothing yet. If I could just get this man Harper, I might learn something. I've got two men working on it right now. Well, what about the woman? Have you asked her? Uh, she doesn't know him. If she does, she's not saying. I, I can't get her to talk about this case. She's just not interested. They brought her the notice of the trial. She didn't even read it. You know, she doesn't even know my name, and I'm defending. <laughs> when do you go to trial? Thursday morning. Doesn't leave you much time, does it? I tried a postponement, couldn't get it. You know, Dad, it, it's funny. I this, this thing's got me. Well, that's natural. Your first criminal case? No, no, that's not the reason. I, there's just something about that woman... Something I can't explain. You think she's innocent? No. No, but I, I have a feeling somehow that, that what she did, she had a good reason for doing. She she was protecting someone. I, I'm sure of it. Well, silence seems a pretty good indication of that. I'd use that point in the summing up, if I were you. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to. I don't know what good it'll do, but it's the only thing I've got to go on so far. She's uh, never given you anything else? No. Except that first day, about her son. She talks to me now, though. What about? Oh, about everything except herself. She sort of rambles on as if I weren't there. Every once in a while, I catch a glimpse of something in her life. Something dark and sordid. Something that's been gnawing at her for years. And she's been through hell, that woman. It's in her eyes. But then... Then there's something beautiful there, too. Something I've got to save if I can. I think you will, son. If you feel like that, I don't think there's anything can stop you. I'm going to see her once more, just before the trial. I'm, uh, I'm going to ask her if she'll go on the stand. You think there's a chance? Well, I don't know. I can only try. I think I'll be there to watch you, son. You know, I've got a feeling that I'm going to be very proud of you. Whether you win or lose makes no difference. <laughs> Remember that, my boy. All right. Now, be ready for us in just a few minutes, son. We're just waiting for the judge. You feel all right? I'm all right. I just wish it were over, that's all. Now, before we go out there, I'm going to ask one favor of you. Now, please don't refuse me. What is it? Well, I want you to take the stand. Testify for yourself. No. I can't do that. You won't have to tell them anything. I just I just want that jury to hear you speak. I'm sorry. I don't like to refuse you, but I can't do that. 
hard to help you. Now, don't feel badly about it. There's, there's nothing more you can do for me. I appreciate what you've already done. You've been very kind. You know, you've never even asked my name. Names? They don't matter very much. It's what you are that counts. And you've been kind. Thank you. You don't know what it meant to have someone to talk to, someone who understands things as you do. I'd have gone mad just waiting there. Tell me, haven't you any friends at all? Oh, I did have one. I think I had everything that a woman could ask for. But I made one mistake, and I threw it all away. And it's so easy to keep on making mistakes once you've started. There's no turning back then. You just go on, step by step, always a little lower. Till at last there's nothing left but memories and bitterness. And an ache in your heart for what you might have been. I say time heals everything. I don't believe that. I've never been able to forget. I've never wanted to. That's why I'm glad it's over now. I'll find peace where I'm going. And I need them so. Come in, please. We're almost ready. All right, thank you. I'll be right outside here when you want me, Mr. Cartwright. Cartwright? Is... Is that your name? Oh, yes, I'm Raymond Cartwright. Oh, God! What is it? Well, why do you stare at me like that? You... You're going to defend me? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Now, that, and that's why I want you to go on the stand, just to tell them... You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what it means. Well, what's the matter? Here, give me your hand. Now, get a hold of yourself, please. It's all right. I'll be all right. Now. For station identification, this is the Columbia Broadcasting System. KMX Los Angeles, the voice of Hollywood. Anne Harding, James Stewart, and Conway Turl return shortly in Madame X. Tonight's play concerns one type of court. Now we hear from a young woman who's made history on another kind. Seven times Wimbledon tennis champion, seven times United States champion, and four times champion of France. An, in, an unequal record. Helen Wills Moody, as one of the greatest of all women athletes, I introduce her tonight with the hope that she'll settle a question in the mind of everyone who follows this sport of king and commoner. Mrs. Moody, have you given up tournament tennis for good, or is there a chance you'll return? I should like to go on one more tour which would include Wimbledon and Forest Hills. It's difficult, however, to leave home for such a long time as is required for the summer tournaments. But there is something irresistible about tennis, and I find myself playing regularly at home in San Francisco four or five times a week. In a few days, the matches will begin at Wimbledon. That must be rather a hard call for you to resist. Indeed it is, but after all, it isn't Wimbledon or championships that make tennis such a grand game. It's the finest sport in the world because it's everybody's game, a sport for all ages. When I was in Stockholm, I played with King Gustav of Sweden, who's still on the courts in his late 70s. Here, in Hollywood, you'll find many of the stars playing remarkably well, not only for exercise, but because they know tennis develops poise. Among them are stars like Earl Flynn, Clark Gable, Gilbert Rowland, Warner Baxter, Greta Garbo, Ronald Coleman, 
and Merle O'Bron. I understand that now you're devoting a lot of time to designing clothes and painting. How does an artist's brush feel in a hand accustomed to a tennis racket? The fields are not so far removed as you may think, Mr. DeMille. The action of a tennis game, the sweep of the strokes, the graceful lines, the rhythm of motion are qualities that lend themselves very readily to an etching or a pencil sketch. Look at a good painting and then at a good game of tennis and you'll find a kindred artistry. As for clothes, my interest in designing was stimulated when I once found myself with a match on my hand but no outfit. I was in a large city and yet couldn't find a store that had sensible sport clothes. Most of my designs have been for active sportwear, but I have also done some bathing suits and street dresses. Since I've been doing this designing work, my attention has been called to the problem of keeping up the attractiveness of sportwear, and I know that the answer has been found in the use of Lux Flakes. Sportwear lasts longer, looks better, and stays fresher when cared for with a splendid product responsible for this program. It's obvious, Mrs. Moody, that you believe in having a variety of interests. Yes, I believe if you have one main interest and a variety of lesser interests, it makes for greater happiness. In proof of which, I've also tried my hand at writing, and I've just completed a book. I've called it 15 to 30, because it deals not only with tennis, but with the experiences I've had and what I hope I've learned during those, year- during those years. All my thanks, Mr. DeMille, for asking me to appear in the Lux Radio Theater. I'm sure you'll be a champion among authors, too. And now, back to the story of Madame X, starring Anne Harding and James Stewart with Conway Turl. The knowledge that our own son is to defend her seals Jacqueline's lips even tighter than before. We're in the courtroom, where the trial is almost ready to begin. In the enclosure near the judge's bench, Alan Cartwright sits at a long table. Beside him is his old friend, Dr. Chesney, who's come to hear Raymond plead his first case. Has Raymond any kind of a chance at all, Alan? Well, not on the facts alone, Perry. But he'll make a good showing. He's convinced in some manner that the crime was justifiable. He's got his heart in it. That's always a help. He's a little young to be swaying juries on sentiment alone. Well, we'll see. The court will please rise. The court of general sessions is now in order. The Honorable Gerald M. Darrett presiding. Be seated, please. The case of the people versus Laura Williams. Uh, There she is. She's just come in with Raymond. Hmm. He looks worried. I hope he... Good God, Penny. What is it? That woman. Look at her. Who is she, Perry? It does look like... uh, But she can't be, of course. It's Jacqueline. Jacqueline Hillen is caught on trial for murder. Sit down, Alan. I've got to speak to her. You can't do that. Not now. Besides, you're not even certain that it is Jacqueline. Not certain. My God. Don't you think I know her face? Haven't I seen it every time I've closed my eyes for the last 20 years? Oh, that you can't do anything. It's too late, man. It's in Raymond's hand now. Her son. Her own son. And he doesn't know. There's nothing to be done now, Alan. Nothing. Here, sit down right over here. Face the bench. Thank you. Feel better now? Yes. The state ready? Ready, Your Honor. Defendant ready? Ready, Your Honor. Proceed with the case, please. The state versus Laura Williams. The defendant is charged with the willful murder of one Tony Phillips. On the night of May 4th, 1937, it is charged with the defendant at the hotel. And these gentlemen of the jury, 
are the facts that the state will bring forward. By the defendant's own admission, she committed an act of murder. But the law of this state is such that we cannot force her to testify against herself. Therefore, the state will present its witnesses as rapidly as possible. Witnesses who are at the scene of the crime only a few seconds after its commission. The first witness, a woman who had the adjoining room, will swear to the... Eight o'clock. I was alone in my room and I heard a shout. I ran out into the hall and I... The hall. I didn't hear the shot, but when I got out there, there were about four or five people standing around the door of room 518. They were banging on it. I ran up to the door and tried to find out. And there she was, standing over him with a gun in her hand. The gun was still smoking. She said, I killed him. I'm not trying to escape. I killed him. That's all she'd say. And then I went downstairs to find an officer. I came back to the room. And that, gentlemen is the case as presented by the state. The counsel for the defense has shown no flaw in any of the testimony he's heard, nor has he offered to produce any witnesses to refute this testimony. Your Honor, gentlemen of the jury, the state rests. Oh, please, please, we can't let her just go at that. You've got to speak. You've got to tell me. No, don't say any more. Don't try to defend me. Let them send the jury out now. It can't make any difference, Raymond. Why do you call me Raymond? I don't know. Well, you did it once before, too. I'm sorry. No, please. Please, but you say it as if it had some meaning to you. Do I? Will counsel for the defense present his case, please? No, don't say anything. Please, I've got to. Your Honor, gentlemen of the jury, you have just heard the state's case, and you have heard no denials by the defendant. The defense has no witnesses to present, and I am frank to admit that the defendant, in spite of my counsel, has repeatedly refused to take the stand on her own behalf. Now, this would seem to indicate that she has reason to be afraid, but we must look deeper than that. Now, this woman, gentlemen, whom you see before you, has admitted her guilt openly. She has nothing to lose by testifying. On the contrary, she has only to gain by it. But still, she refuses. Now, there must be some reason for this. And from my conversations with her before this trial opened, I am firmly convinced that she is keeping silent for one purpose and for one purpose only. To protect and shield someone near to her. Someone she loves. Yes, gentlemen, there, there is a mystery surrounding this woman that newspapers have called Madame X. Who is she? Where does she come from? Whom is she shielding? Whom is she protecting? Is it a husband, a daughter, a son? No, don't! She, she told, me, told me she had a son of my age. And she refused to speak any more of him. But he lives. Now, perhaps he faced some great danger. I don't know what, but she knew and she killed to protect him from it. Now, you will say that this is supposition. Well, it is, gentlemen. It is supposition. But our law states that where there is a reasonable doubt of guilt, the defendant must be deemed innocent. Well, there is doubt here. Not, not as to actual fact, but as to motive. And the courts of our state have recognized time after time, case after case, 
that there is such a thing as justifiable homicide. Let me through here. Let me through. Order, order there. Your Honor. Your Honor, I'd like to speak to the counsel for defense, please. Counsel for defense is summing up his case. This is no time. Your Honor, if the court so pleases, this man is in my employ. Now, if he wants to speak to me now, I assure you it has direct bearing upon the case. Very well. Go ahead. All right, what is it? Joe Harper. I found him. What, is he here now? Sure. I served him with subpoenas and I've... All right, all right. Now, get him up here quick. Your Honor. Your Honor, I... I ask the court's pardon for this interruption. I also ask the court for permission to introduce a witness for the defense. I object. The counsel has already begun his summation. A human life is at stake here. Objection overruled. Your Honor, I ask the court to call Joseph Harper. Joseph Harper to the stand. Raise your right hand. You solemnly swear that you'll receive the whole... Gentlemen of the jury, I have never seen this witness. Now, his testimony may act to the advantage of the defendant. It may act to her disadvantage. But regardless of that, I believe he knows something about this case. What's your name? Joseph Harper. Where do you live, please? 618 West 74th Street. Now, I want you to look at the defendant. Have you ever seen her before? No. You, you don't know who she is? No. Now, tell me this. Did you ever know a man by the name of Tony Phillips? Did you? Yeah. Did you call him on the telephone at the Hotel Trent on the night of May the 4th? I guess so. No, no, did you or didn't you answer the question? Yes. And why did you call him? Well, he, uh, he asked me to. When was that? Uh, a week before. He, uh, he sent me a telegram. From New York? No, 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 San Francisco. He wanted me to do him a favor. What was that favor? Well, he asked me to get some information for him. What about? Did I have to answer that? What about? Well, it was about a person that he was no, trying to... No, don't answer. Don't answer, do you hear? No, don't let him do. Take him off the stand. Don't question him anymore. I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything. But please, please don't let him speak for my sake. Please. True what you said. I was protecting someone. It was my son. The man I killed was going to blackmail him and my husband because of me. He was going to wreck my son's life and my husband's career because of what I was and what I am now. That's why I couldn't speak. That's why I can never speak. In God's name, please don't ask me to tell. Don't ask me to give up my life for nothing. I'm not afraid to die if I know that he'll be safe. He's my son. My son whom I've never known and who's never known me. You can take my life as a worthless thing anyway, but please... Please let him have his. Oh, oh. she's fainted. Here, get a doctor, quick. How is she, Penny? Has she come around yet? Not quite. She's in pretty bad shape, Alan. Where's Raymond? Oh, he's away to the corridor. Did you... Did you tell him... About Jacqueline? Yes, yes. It, it wasn't easy, Perry. How did he take it? He wanted to come in to see her. I made him wait for the jury to come back. He'll get an acquittal. It's, it's almost true. Sure. I wonder how much good it will do, Alan. What do you mean? Hmm? Oh. She's hmm. coming, too. Hmm. Jacqueline. Hmm. Jacqueline, do you hear me? Alan. Yes, darling. I saw you in the court. I was so afraid you'd tell. I wanted to, Jacqueline. No, no. 
better. Better this way. Much better. I know everything you've done has been for me and Raymond. I, I, I can't tell you. Don't cry. You told me once that I'd never forgive myself for what I did. I never have, Jacqueline. I tried to find you. Oh, so many times. But I'll make it all up to you. I swear I will. I'll make you happy again, Jacqueline. I'm happy now. So very happy. Come here, Raymond. Raymond? Does he know? Yes, I know, Mother. Oh. Oh, Raymond. It's all over, Mother. The jury's come in and... They've acquitted you. We can go home now. Home. I only wish I could. But you can. You're going to. Give me your hand, Raymond. My son. All these years I've been so proud of you. And all these years thought of me as, as a dream mother who died long ago when she was young and pretty. Please, try to go on thinking that for my sake. But I, I've found you, Mother. I, I can't lose you again so quickly. That isn't in our hands, Raymond. Well, I don't know what you mean. Now, you mustn't be sad. And you mustn't think too much about me. Because I'm not sad. I'm happy, Raymond. Happier than I've ever been in all my life. Mother? Mother? Dr. Chesney, what is it? We found her. Too late, my boy. Harding and James Stewart step from their tragic roles and speak to us as themselves in just a moment. From a different part of the country, we now present another Madame X and her son, whose name also is Raymond. They will tell their own story, this time the actual story of a mother and son lost to each other for 18 years. Today they're reunited, but up until now have refused all requests to tell their amazing story to the world. This evening they consented to come to the Lux Radio Theater and tell it in person. It's my pleasure to introduce to you the young gentleman and his mother who present their proof of the adage that truth is often stranger than fiction. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Raymond Meir and his mother who speak to you from New York. Thank you, Mr. DeMille. For the last 18 years, I have believed my mother dead. Every time I asked my father about her, the only answer I could get was that she had died when I was three years old. My father had remarried in the meantime, and two years ago... He died. A year and a half ago, I got a job ushering at the Paramount here in New York, where I am now assistant chief usher. Two months ago on my day off, I was in the neighborhood and happened to stop in at the theater, and there I was handed a message. It was sent by my stepmother, and all it said was, Your mother is in town and wants to speak to you. I have read stories like that, and I have seen such things happen in the movies. Madam X is one, I remember, but I never thought it would happen to me. But you had known, hadn't you, Mother, that someday it would happen? Yes, Raymond. I just knew that you were alive. And even if I couldn't find you, I could hope I might someday. 
Do you know why my father would never let you see me? He had his ideas of how to bring you up, and I had mine. We couldn't agree. We separated, and he traveled a great deal. And once he took you with him, I never saw you again. But, Raymond, you tell the story. All right. I'd rather just listen to you. All right. My mother tried every means to find me for 15 years, but she never could. Finally, two months ago, she did discover a clue to where I had been working. She went to that firm in New York, and as it turned out, the woman she interviewed there was my stepmother. Neither knew who the other was. My mother asked for me, and my stepmother, not knowing her, was very cautious at first. They took a liking to each other, and finally, my mother revealed her identity. Then, my stepmother did the same. The whole story came out then, and convinced of the truth of it, my stepmother sent that message to me at the Paramount. I went to her office immediately, and she told me to go to a certain address where my mother was staying with friends. I went, and when I walked into the room and saw mother, I thought I must be looking into a mirror. We looked so much alike. Uh, Raymond, I never even asked you. How did you feel when you first saw me? I don't really know. I was so stunned that I don't know whether I felt anything, really. I can't even remember what I said. And I'm not sure I know what you said, do you? No, I just remember. All of a sudden, I couldn't see you. Uh, I guess I was crying. Very soon after my mother and I were reunited, we began checking over places we had been, where we might have met. We discovered that one month before she found me, she had been in New York, and some friends insisted that she go to the movies with them. They went to the Paramount, and as my mother still says, it was very dark inside. Maybe you are the young man who took me to my seat. And now, Mother, I think it's time we said goodbye. From Hollywood, we send our thanks to Mr. Muir and his mother, and the hope that their newfound happiness will be with them always. Before Mr. DeMille brings Anne Harding and James Stewart back to the microphone, may I remind you that the Lux Radio Theater comes to you through the courtesy of the makers of Lux Flakes. The familiar blue box has a friendly place in most of the homes you know. These gentle flakes are made especially to safeguard fine silks and woolens. You'll find them kind to everything that is safe in clear water alone. Again, our producer, Mr. DeMille. Back to our microphone, come Anne Harding and James Stewart, giving us, among other things, a chance to learn from Miss Harding her impressions of the stage and screen in England. Well, I'm afraid I'm hardly the right person to ask about English pictures, Mr. DeMille. I did make a picture in England, but an American produced it, an American directed it, and the cameraman was an American. <laughs> well, then how about the English stage, Miss Harding? Ah, well, now, it isn't safe to start me on that subject. Playing on the English stage was a marvelous experience. Isn't it rather strange that George Bernard Shaw's play, Candida, wasn't given a major production in London for 37 years? In fact, till, not till you went over to star in it. Well, I could hardly believe it when they told me that. It was pretty exciting to find that it was such a success. What have you been doing, Mr. Stewart? When I left Hollywood a year ago, everyone was talking about that amazing young actor who lived with Henry Fonda, owned 30 cats, and played the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> we know Henry Fonda married, but uh, what happened to the cats and the accordion? I don't know. Whatever attracted the cats in the first place, I don't know. They just seemed to come around. <laughs> they haven't caught up with me yet. I, every night I play the accordion to sort of discourage them. <laughs> now, the neighbors in sympathy... Well, I, uh, I just asked them which they'd prefer, an accordion or a troop of 30 yowling cats. I guess it's a case of the lesser of two evils. <laughs> what do they say to that? Well, sir, I hardly ever get a civil answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, Mr. DeMille, I meant to ask you about this. In case you need an accordion player for the Buccaneer, you remember the Stuart's name. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Th- th- thanks, Jerry. But after all, even the pirate can endure just so much. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Jimmy. <laughs> You're a very remarkable fellow. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.